Hi, and welcome to the Radiation Research Society podcast. I'm Allison Burrell, and I'm here interviewing Gail Walshack. Welcome. Thanks for coming to talk with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks. Now, you are the uh, departing president of the, the society. Yes, thankfully. <laughs> so it's good news. Yeah, so I'm just curious what goes into being president of this society. You know, it differs from year to year. This past year was complicated. I mean, the year when you, pro when you say you're going to be president of the society, it's a four-year commitment. One year as second vice president, one year as first vice president, one year as president, and one year as past president. So during the first vice president year, you run the meeting, and during the president year, you run the society. So oh. it's handling all the interactions from one group to another, forging better relations from one society to another. So for instance, we have relationships with National Council on Radiation Protection, with Health Physics Society, things like that. This year was especially uh, interesting, shall I say, because of the International Congress of Radiation Research in Kyoto. Right. So that was a very big part of my time, was trying to get us well-placed within the program, interface with them, get our membership to be able to attend that meeting. Um, but it does vary from year to year depending on what the ongoing activities are. And that was a very exciting meeting. Um, it, 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 was a, it was really a great meeting. I mean, the, the Japanese, the, there, were, there was a lot of trouble getting things set up, mm -hmm. and I, I won't go into the details about it, I'm not sure that's relevant for anybody, but, um, but they, the Japanese put forth a really big effort to um, put on a great show, great program. They tried to be very hospitable, um, had some wonderful events that were just incredible. I mean, y y for me, y y Leah, uh, I can't remember Leah's last name, but she's Al Fornes' uh, uh, person works with her. She did a video of me breaking the sake cask. Oh, yes. It was so cool. I mean, I, and that was really fun. <laughs> I guess you had to think about this four years ago then becoming the president. Um, was it something that you had considered or? Oh, it was like, it was totally random. To so so I, I never thought about being president of Radiation Research <laughs> Society ever, okay? Um, and Frank Cucinata, who was the who was the president before me, mm -hmm. he sends me an email and says, oh, look, Gail, we don't have many people to run for president. Would you be willing to do it? And I was like, oh, sure. What the heck? You know, I'm all, all happy to help, okay? <laughs> and next thing you know, there are four people running. All, and all, three, all, all four, I, I, I would not have run against any of the other three. They all would have made great presidents. Um, but something happened, I won, and, um, and no, but the great, really great thing is that the three people who didn't win were remarkably supportive, and that's the wonderful thing about the society, is that um, everybody's in it for the good of the organization, and they were, they were really great about that. Society's been really supportive for everything I've wanted to do, so it's really been a good thing. Has it been hard to balance working, you know, running the society and with all of the work that you do yeah, in guess, your own lab? Well, so what I would say is, my first of all, my chairman is extremely supportive. When when um, I when I was running for office, I told him about it, and he said, and he's a member actually, mm -hmm. and he said, "Oh, look, Gail, I'm going to support you. We want you to do this. We'll do whatever we can." So he's. Um, at least giving me moral support and doesn't seem to mind when I have to miss a few lectures for the residents because I have to travel for rad res or, you know, things like that. It, I think it's just the support system that helps. So this past year you've had to travel a lot to... We've had a few more meetings because of it, um, certainly a lot more conference calls, a lot more emails, a lot more letters. There's a lot of paperwork time that goes into it too. But again, great support system. I mean, Veronica and a meeting by design are 
really helpful. Ellie Blakely is the secretary treasurer. Um, she does most of the heavy hitting on the correspondence. So, you know, you, there, there are a lot of people there to help out. Yeah, I spoke with her in Japan, actually, on her work. Is that right? It's going to be it's on a podcast oh, as well. Oh, cool, yeah. cool, cool. She's great. Yeah. But, but I guess diving into your work, I know that you've got a couple of things going on. Um, one is the, the repository of samples. Uh -huh. um, you want to talk a little bit about that first? Yeah, so, so that's sort of an interesting thing. I mean, we've had, so um, the U U.S. Department of Energy funded back in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, experiments with 49,000 mice and 21,000 dogs that had been irradiated under different conditions, different circumstances, different dose rates, different qualities of radiation. And um, the story goes, I was moving from Argonne National Lab where I had at least the 49,000 mice with me. And I said, look, you guys, I'm leaving. You know, can I take the tissues with me? And they said, oh, no, no, we're going to work with those tissues here. So I said, okay. I went to Northwestern, never thought about it. Two years later, somebody at Argonne calls me up and says, Gail, the tissues are in the dumpster. So I, I called Department of Energy. I said, there's a problem. All these tissues that I told you I really could use, they're in the dumpster right now. So DOE said, we'll give you a grant. We'll move them down to Northwestern. So now I had all these tissues I'd worked with. I think even more importantly, we have um, the data sets. Mm -hmm. And in the day and age of big data, there's so much you can do with large data sets that it's extremely useful. Um, so then what happened was people heard, you know, investigators are passing away. They've they worked on these back in the 60s. What are we going to do with the tissues? So now everybody's sending me their archives. You know, so I've, I've got. So it's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. bigger and bigger. And now I have the dogs from Lovelace and some rats from Lovelace. And PNNL sent me their dogs. And so it, it accumulates. But what else is really cool is when we're doing this, the EU is doing a similar project that they called Store, where they're storing tissues and they're developing a website. So now we can bind our websites. You can actually access our data from their website and vice versa. We, there are data on 250,000 mice that have been irradiated, just mice alone, in, in the archive, in the worldwide archive. Uh, no, sorry, EU-US archive. Um, we're trying to get Japan to enter into it. I mean, the, you know, if people keep adding their data, we can have a huge data set for, of studies. And by data you mean expression profiles? Or? Um, some of them people can upload expression profiles. Back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they didn't have that sort of information. What they mm -hmm. had was um, you irradiate the animal, what was the micropathology, what did you see in every single tissue, okay. and we have tissue blocks to go back to. So for instance, we've done a number of studies where we've been looking at microRNAs in the um, irradiated samples. We've identified microRNAs that are important and then we go back to new animals to now look at the experimental systems that we can mo modify a bit. Mm -hmm. So you, we go back and forth between archive and fresh samples. But, you know, 49,000 mice, I mean, nobody's going to do an experiment like that again. No, that's um, so, so it's a wealth of information. It is mostly paraffin. For the dogs, we have some um, leukemia samples, too. So. Okay. And, and then the other topics that you're working on in your lab are utilizing nanoparticles? Yeah, so we have a nanotechnology project. Um, Oh, about 10 or 15 years ago, when I was still at Argonne, um, some chemists came to us and said, hey, we've got these nanoparticles. What would you biologists think about putting on the surface? And we said, well, the easiest thing is to put DNA on the surface. So we started 
working with them collaboratively. And then as, we, as work progressed, it turned out that the, we were working with titanium dioxide, which actually has ra radio sensitization capacity. When you irradiate it, it gives off free radicals. Oh, yes. And so now if you can put those nanoparticles close to the DNA, you can actually get them to radio sensitize. And that's what my, many of my students, we've published a few papers showing that um, radiation alone, you know, gives damage to AX, P53, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 53, BP1, yeah, <laughs> at high levels. But now put the nanoparticles in and it goes way high. Um, so we can get better killing, we can get better DNA strand breaks. Um, if we can make it be tumor specific, which we can do by modifying the surface to make, you know, target a tumor antigen, mm -hmm. we can and create those, radio sensitization. Those studies, are those just in cell lines right now or have you moved into animal models? We've, we've been doing a little bit in animals. Um, we, we've done a little bit with mice, but probably the more important model for us is the rabbit. Um, the reason why is because we're actually using a patient irradiator. So we're trying to, add, so, so little do the patients know, but at night there are rabbits being irradiated. Um, we have to really clean it down yeah, when we're yeah. done. But we put the rabbits in and we actually do a treatment plan with a CT scan, just like you would do for a patient. Mm -hmm. And then we irradiate the tumor with uh, IMRT and um, you know, look to see whether we're getting better killing with nanoparticles or without. Um, the jury's still out. We have a few experiments that look very promising, but you know, we have larger numbers to do and stuff. So, Are there any other projects that you're Those are on? probably the two most important. We, we have a um, third project that really dovetails with uh, the others, um, where we've, we do X-ray fluorescence microscopy, which is a synchrotron-based um, form of microscopy. And uh, we developed a, the BioNanoProbe, which is a, an instrument at Argonne Synchrotron. Um, and it allows us to detect things like plutonium in cells. So we're relating that back to the dog studies um, with the, where they gave animals plutonium. And at the time, the only way to track plutonium was with radio label. Radio label isn't such a good way. It's not very sensitive. Um, so now we can look at tissues and actually tell you how much plutonium there is where and what's the oxidation state of the plutonium. So it's pretty amazing. That is, that does sound amazing. And this technique didn't even exist 10 years ago, so. So there's new technology coming out all the time. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, everybody thinks about the molecular technology, yeah. but microscopy is also, you know, really developing in the new approaches. And synchrotron-based microscopy, I think, is gonna be a wave of the future. Um, so I know you had, you had spoken a bit about um, being president and, um, being president of the Radiation Research Society that you didn't know if you were, you know, back in when you were first starting out that you were going to do radiation research. So I'm just curious if, uh, if you have any ideas of where your research is headed. I know you start with one thing and it leads in some direction and mm -hmm. it's completely um, off of what you were originally interested in. Do you have any aspirations for new projects? Yeah, well, we have a couple of directions that have been, for me, very important. Um, one of my students presented a poster here on DDREF, which is the dose and dose rate effectiveness factor. Mm -hmm. And he was using large numbers of animals to the 210, 250,000 mice. Um, where I see next directions going mm -hmm. are to try to do much more big data work in radiation research in general. So what it looks like to me is that there are some pretty good um, databases out there that People have developed here, 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 here. I think we need to come up with a way to somehow link those mm -hmm. so that it's much easier to access the information. 
Um, you can certainly get information on patients that have been irradiated and get gene expression profiles and stuff like that, but I don't think you can get it in one place anymore. So it exists out there, but it's not in one place. Um, I think we need to work as a community mm -hmm. to do that so that we can now start to mine those data in a new way. So definitely bioinformatics. I, I think so, I think so, and especially for us with the low-dose um, uh, work that we've been doing and the large-scale animal studies, that is about data mining almost exclusively. But if we can now start to put together many more things, I think we'll be much better off. The, I mean, I, I tried to say this in the President's Symposium yesterday, but I think the link that's missing in radiation research right now is we do the omics, we do the molecular biology, we do the metabolomics, we have all that work. And then we have the epidemiology where we look at people and try to do cancer risk assessment. But translating from one to the other is very, very hard. And um, it's up to us, actually, to come up with tools to be able to bridge that gap. Um, National Council on Radiation Protection and Measurements, they've done a little bit of work trying to say, oh, there are biomarkers that might be useful. But we need somehow to bridge that, and I think that's going to take a lot of work. Right, because the symposium was on low-dose radiation. Yeah, it was on low-dose, which is where I think there are big challenges. Right. Um, it's much easier to understand what's happening at high doses because there are a plethora of responses. A lot of times, low-dose, you only know by looking at high-dose and extrapolating down. Um, when you're looking at whole populations, there's so many confounding factors, it's really hard to do that. But yet, in a way, that's what, you know, we're supposed to be doing. Um, there's this comics, I mean, it's, it's not really a joke, but it, people told it as a joke at the time, where um, they're, they're women who are pregnant at Chernobyl, and they're asking the radiation biologist, um, what should I be doing for my, what's my baby's risk from? And, they're, and the, the radiobiologists are off on the side talking about how cancer is induced by uh, radiation and oncogenes and stuff like that. So we're, we're not really answering the question that is in people's mm -hmm. minds. Um, I think we, don't, we haven't yet developed good tools to do that, but that's the, that's the challenge we have to do. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Good luck. I hope everything keeps right. going well. Thanks, Gail. Yeah.